this is Richard. And this is Eric. And you're listening to the Coral Contrarians podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Coral Contrarians. I'm here with world-famous Italian composer Richard Robino. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Eric, how are you doing? <laughs> that was that was it. That was as far as I go. Richard, it's good to see you. How are you doing? It is good to see you too, Eric. Things are great. I'm enjoying a little bit of a change in the weather. How about you? I also am excited about a weather change. And if you are listening far off Mm -hmm. in the future, we are recording this Mm -hmm. in late September. Yes. So where I am, what that means is that the leaves are only beginning to change. Where both you and I used to live, they would be starting to be farther along. Yeah. And now they're only just beginning to change. And a point of interest, everybody's going to be thrilled to know this about me, that I recently found out that my season personality, the personality that my mm-hmm. my personality is most affiliated yeah. with, the season of fall... So I'm I guess I'm entering into a season that is most like me. So in other words, dying trees, everything's shutting down and descending into just death. That's great. I guess what that just speaks start. me. Yeah. It just yeah. I'm definitely least like spring. Do you have a do you have a, a season that your personality is most like? I mean, I feel like I'm a, you know, a fall or winter guy, but I mean, how do you know? Did you take a, was this like a test or? There is, there is some test and I I can't remember. I'm sure it was a free internet test that, that always is. um, Very scientific. Very scientific. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I mean, so that's kind of cool. And I feel like, uh, you know, I like it when, um, you can bundle up a little more. Yes, I like to see the leaves. I mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, I like the cold as well. I I don't I don't mind that. Um, I'm not a summer person. I think um, I don't like the uh, like sweating. You know, <laughs> experience that. Which <laughs> probably most people did more of this year than they've they've done in many recent years. Oh yeah, no. Our family in Texas are—they've um, just been baking. I think it's still up in the, you know, nineties in places, which is just wild. What a delight! That's why yeah. we we would never, and no one ever should, move to Texas, as we've established <laughs> many years ago on this. We don't channel. want to alienate our fans nope. in the Lone Star State. No, we don't. You know what, though. Uh, mm. It's extremely obvious that this is the first episode in an extremely long time. Yeah. So um, I think it's good to tell everybody that that wasn't necessarily on purpose and um, that we hope what we can do is get back in the saddle in some way and, and sort of come back to this project the Coral Contrarians project, but in the meantime, I think what we both experienced, in particular you, was a year last academic year, which was uh, largely just overly busy, and then it became one of those things where it just was impossible to sort of set get this in, get this in the bag. 
So we're sorry. I know that many people reached out and we really appreciate that. And we want to once again get back in the saddle. But I think that there's a chance that we may this year. And one of the reasons why is because of a potential change for you that I think it would be good for our listeners to know about. What has happened uh, in the last six months? Yeah, um, well, I am at a new position at Shenandoah Conservatory, uh, which I'm super excited about. Uh, And I have really enjoyed um, getting started with my students and and with my colleagues here. Um, I definitely miss uh, my fantastic colleagues and and students at University of Minnesota Duluth. Um, But as you uh, you know, mentioned and uh, hinted at, um, you know, there are lots of things that happen in life that, um, you know, result in your giving more focus here, less focus there on various things. Um, our family is getting older, uh, as is yours, Eric, I know. Mm-hmm. And um, that is often a chance for uh, just realignment and thinking about, um, you know, things that would be, uh, you know, beneficial for, for them. Um, and I'm excited about the chance to get started again with the contrarians, as you mentioned, um, and, you know, to folks who, who reached out to both of us, uh, it's great, you know, to know that, uh, people are listening and that people were wondering what, um, what we've been up to and what the contrarians would think about all of the important issues of the day. Um, so here we are for better or for worse, weighing in on anything that happens to cross our minds. Right. Um, I think I'll ask on behalf of everybody though, in your new position, what are, mm-hmm. what are your duties or what are you, what are you doing there at uh, Shenandoah? Sure. Um, so my position title is uh, Director of Choral Activities and Choral Artist in Residence. Um, Shenandoah Conservatory has a long tradition of uh, support for the arts, and it's a place that um, centers the arts within the identity of the uh, university. It was founded as a conservatory back um over a hundred years ago, so it's uh, I believe it's Virginia's oldest uh, conservatory, oldest uh, institution of higher learning where you could where you could study music. Um, and I'm uh, an associate professor, so um, I you know continue academic things as well. I'm conducting choirs and working um, to you know really. Uh, get acclimated to the new region and um, to get to know new colleagues and uh, to explore some of the really vibrant arts offerings that exist in nearby cities like Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Richmond. Um, It's a place that's in a really interesting location. You know, within a few hours, you're in all of the major metropolitan areas on the the East Coast. we're very far north Virginia, uh, so you know not not far to New mm-hmm. Jersey, Pennsylvania, and and even New York City. Um, so yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Uh, I have loved getting to work with students and uh, to put together music with them. It's been really uh, a joy to get started. Okay, last question before we get going really yeah. on any topic at all, which mm-hmm. would be. I think a uh, a nice uh, softball question to you would be uh-huh. what what your favorite thing is about where you are right now. But I'm gonna mm-hmm. ask the most contrarian question, which is, "Oh, great! I need you to throw something under the bus right now. What is your least favorite <laughs> thing?" <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> just oh. just let it out. Okay, I'll. Oh, I, oh here we this, go. This uh, this. I think will be obvious to anyone who has lived in the great state of Wisconsin. Um, so apparently in the state of Virginia, there are no like taverns or bars 
in order to have a bar, you, it really has to be a restaurant, basically. Um, and so the beer game is not what it was in Wisconsin. I know there are some wonderful local breweries and that sort of thing, but Wisconsin is a little legendary in that way. Um, and there certainly were some, some great offerings up in Superior, Duluth, North Shore of, uh, of Minnesota, uh, South Shore of Lake Superior, mm-hmm. all of that. So we miss that. How is Virginia's cheese game? <laughs> you know, I mean, again, that's really not fair, is it? They have, uh, I, what can you get here, right? So um, we're not so far from Baltimore. You can get crab. You can get oh, yeah. oysters. I mean, that's some serious business. So we're excited mm-hmm. about that. Um but yeah, that that Wisconsin bar, we're really in in the whole state of Wisconsin. You know, it's kind of like food is optional, right? And a lot of just everything. And you're doing okay if you've got you know the pub around the corner, that sort of thing. Right, and I recall that uh, they did have as many of those as churches almost. I mean, the, every neighborhood had sort of a towny. Uh, oh sure, towny yeah. tavern to it. Yeah, and more um, bars than grocery stores, right? Per capita, or so it's some interesting number like that. So we do miss that, but there are a lot of beautiful things about this place. Beautiful, uh, beautiful scenery, and the people have been really warm and inviting. And and um, in particular, my students and colleagues at the university. All right, so we are both uh, back at it uh, in our respective universities and conducting choirs and um, back into it. And those of you that are listening generally and broadly are the same. You are back into the game in season 2023-24. And um, one thing that came up in a recent conversation between the two of us was the idea of uh, creating some sort of grounding philosophy or ethic to your your choir or to your maybe even your choral program if 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 you're in the the same type of job description as as we are, which would be mm-hmm. governing more than just one choir. So if you have multiple choirs, perhaps that there's some sort of element of either philosophical tradition or or ethic that you want to essentially umbrella the entire program. And I'll be honest, I mean, I think that it's it's on many people's mind from year to year, and I think it's possible that if you're not thoughtful about it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It it's gonna happen no matter what, I feel like that that your choral program, that the choirs that you're working with, will develop some sort of ethic on its own, regardless of if you're thoughtful about it or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you agree with that sentiment? Oh, yeah. I think we both model and um, imply an ethic or a philosophy um, in everything that we do. You know, we you spend time on things that are important to you, right? That's a, an interesting thing to consider um, when we think about a lot, of, uh, a lot of things that we do. But yeah, for better or worse, and on purpose or you know, by, uh, on accident, by accident, I think that we're cultivating an ethic and a philosophy whether we realize it or not. Let's say you're a new teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mitt, you are in that place. You're kind of in survival mode. I mean, I'm in survival mm-hmm. mode, and or we're <laughs> been doing this. <laughs> yeah, every year is survival <laughs> mode, Eric. Of Come course. On. So, but let's say that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, the 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 sort of grounding mechanism of inner relationships and how your choir gets used to sort of the the foundational elements of mm-hmm. 
what's happening, how it's going to work, the mm-hmm. feel and vibe of morale, the interplay between leadership and new people, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say still happens even if you never think about it. If your sole goal is we're getting together and learning the notes, mm-hmm. it's still happening. There's still things that are happening because I feel like human beings largely are structural beings, especially mm-hmm. in groups and community groups where we sort of slide into a particular narrative. Uh, Let's say that you are an extremely funny and flighty person that um, feels uncomfortable with discipline or feels uncomfortable with sort of laying down the law, you know, or we got to get we got to get this done or you're a procrastinator or you're just sort of more of a free spirit. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty confident that if you never thought through the the idea of creating a phil, a sort of a a grounding philosophy or or something that mm-hmm. there's a decent chance that over the course of time not only the choir that you're conducting but the choirs the 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 myriad of ensembles that you're conducting generally would sort of slide into that reality and narrative I'm trying to differentiate that, though, from the idea of a cult of personality, though, where it's n- I'm not necessarily talking about that choirs just always fall into whatever personality we are. But I mm-hmm. feel like if you are have given no thought to the concept of what are what is the philosophy of what we're doing here? What is the the culture? How? if you've never given thought to it, it feels like personality will be the driving figure in what that, what that culture will end up to be. Do you, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I think that, you know, for me, and when I'm thinking about the way that I approach situations, new groups, um, you know, establishing what that, thing is that those kind of overarching philosophies or things that are non-negotiables right or or um, things that you that you prize that you value and that you want for people to also value um, the main thing I think is that you're mindful of you know what it is that you're reinforcing and that you recognize that you know behaviors have um, behaviors are seen and then they have they have consequences right so the things you value are are seen um let's say to take your example you're you know the idea is you're well i'm going to focus on notes you know and and do this and that well even in a situation like that the way that you respond to you know it seems like a, a pretty basic thing i'm gonna fix notes or whatever the way that you respond you know, to a to a right note or to a wrong note or or whatever that that can imply lots of things about what you value and um, the, the the way that you value people. Um, there's talk, you know, in in higher ed always about the way that we structure classrooms and um, the sort of agency that students are given within the learning process and. I think this is a good thing for choral directors to consider because the the old model, you know, of that kind of um, you know dictator, sort of, dictator yeah, that right, right. that kind of thing, and and then boy, if you cross that person, you're going to get a chair thrown at you, that sort of thing, <laughs> you know, um, my way or the highway, and all of that. Well, you know, we have to ask ourselves at what cost, you know we're um, accomplishing our musical goals. And then, uh, you know, more fundamentally, does it even matter? I mean, there, there are different ways of inspiring people to participate and to, and to do things. Um, so that's kind of a roundabout way of, of getting at what you're, you're going for, but 
I think you see the point. I do. And you're in a, particularly recently and, and me I, broadly recently, but you are in a coming into a new place, mm-hmm. whether or not you wanted to change anything. That's not really in, in the back of your mind. There's a sort of a clean slate feeling of saying, regardless of what what is partnering already with what I want the choir to be like eventually, or mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. it's wildly different, it doesn't matter. There's a sense of probably this recent summer as you're moving into a new place, a question again says to you, what do I want the feeling to be like at this place? You know, what do I want... You know, we want excellence. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Let's all just assume that's the case. We all want whatever feeling of excellence there is. But what else? You know, I, I've, I've thought about that a lot recently, and even this summer I myself was thinking about it. But for you, coming in a new place, that had to be quite a vibrant thought to say, you plan on being there a long time. What what do you want that the feel and vibe and culture to be like? I'm sure that question came across your mind. Yeah, it's a funny thing because before you walk in, you know, you're um, I think you're thinking a lot about that and you know worrying about it and um, being anxious. I mean, I, I was very anxious to you know set things on the right on the right path and I wanted all of the interactions um, with faculty and and students at the beginning of this process to be positive and for people to get a a sense of what um, of what I'm about more importantly you know I want people to sense that um, that I care about them you know really Uh, and it's like a really funny thing to me is um, when we finally had that first rehearsal together, you know, and, and I have a, uh, a group that's auditioned and, um, you know, you're, you're getting to know these people without really getting to know them, right? Um, you're, the interview processes and audition process can be artificial in a way. Um, but even then, you know, I wanted to know what made people tick and um, kind of what what inspires people and all of that. But once you're in front of the group again, you know, if you're a person who spends a lot of time thinking about this, it's funny how you're always trying to work towards that that goal, like in a way where because I've I've spent years and years and years really reflecting on what I think is important to communicate and to value within the hour, you know, or two hours that you're with a group per day or per week or whatever. Um, It was just funny how quickly, you know, how you're able to trust that experience. Um, Whereas I think 20 years ago, you know, 25 years ago, whatever, when you're doing this for the first time, um, you're thinking about it in a, in a different way because really at that point you're you don't see the long term effects of of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's where you make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm grateful for coming into a new position after having been at you know several institutions and having experience with different communities of people. Because you can see after years of being in a place what that means um, and, you know, how a, a little seed that you plant early can bloom into something beautiful. Over many years now, yeah. I, I've begun to realize, and maybe you'll agree or not agree, that the key to having a wonderful choir has nothing to do with music um, I, I think so. I, and I, and it sort of gets at what we're talking about that I think that there are ways to use music to create a better community, mm-hmm. but I actually think the opposite as, as we are contrarians, that 
in fact, the opposite is more powerful, that a good community will affect the music. Um, so I've been thinking about it a lot, a lot trying to codify, and I don't know about if, if it's possible to codify some of these ideas totally, but I want to bring up a movie that I recently watched, um, kind of a silly, childish one, but one that there are three particular lines in the movie that I just want to talk about briefly or ask, just we can riff on it for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, and, and perhaps use them as a tool to create a better grounding philosophy for interaction within the group dynamic, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with the music, but everything. It, the, the, that's what I mean. I, I mean, are there certain things that you can inject into the, the group dynamic or the way you rehearse or the way that you interact with people that would cause the music to organically be better? And the answer is yes. But how do you define those is a, is a broader question. So the movie I want to talk about Maybe some of you who are listening have seen it. It's called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And I think I got those right. I think you got them. I th yep. Okay, in order. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is actually a movie based on a book. Um, and it it's currently released through Apple, Apple TV, but the the art in this first and foremost is just fabulous it just it it takes your breath away in some ways it's just a beaut beautiful little movie it's about a half hour long mm -hmm. and of course geared towards kids but it doesn't have that feel to me when i watch it and we may have talked about movies before on this podcast but i'm greatly drawn to quiet movies mhm mm movies that have space in the dialogue and some of those things. It, it feels more like real life. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it hovers around four characters, a boy who's lost, trying to find his way home, a mole that becomes his silly first friend here while he's lost, a fox who, who kind of overcomes his, his need to eat um, and to kill, and then a horse who who comes out of hiding um, as a horse that flies. So we have four characters here. And the first interaction was, that I want to talk through is uh, the, the boy and the mole who first meet. They just have their bantering little discussion about uh, getting to know one another. And the mole asks the boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? So at, at first blush, um, and when I first watched this, I, I thought, what a, what a normal question. I mean, you would ask this to anyone. Um, and for some reason, I was so blown away by the boy's response. It's such a simple response. But my mind immediately went to the boy saying, I want to I wanna be an astronaut. I want to be uh, uh, the president. I want to be something. And, and to be honest, here is the boy's response. The mole goes, what do you want to be when you grow up? And after a short pause, the boy said, kind. And for some reason, it was like a bell struck in my mind Finally, we broke free of this Western confusion between being and doing. Mm -hmm. So his response to the mole was actually, what does he want to be? Not what does he want to do, even though we still say it as be. Um, and the mole's response is, nothing beats kindness. It sits quietly beyond all things. And certainly that's a one-liner that we can agree or disagree with. It's a bit sort of heavy-handed, but 
The first day of rehearsal this year, I said, I told this very story, this interaction between the mole and the boy, and I said, this is what I want our choir to be about. What do, what do we want to be as a choir? Kind. I, I, and to me, and then I decompress to say, Sir, this doesn't undo that we want to be good and sing in tune and sing good music and all this stuff. But what does it do? It unwinds all sorts of things that choirs have tons of problems with. Drama, who's better than who, what degree you're getting means that you're a better singer. If you're a performance degree, you're obviously better than a journalism degree. But if none of it sort of circumvents all that, short circuits all of it to say, my first instinct as a, as a member of this mini society mm-hmm. is to be kind. Mm-hmm. And that would somehow, uh, you know, be a foundation stone on which music is laid. I don't know. That's I. What are your thoughts on that? That interaction in particular. Yeah, I was happy for you to recommend the movie, which I, you know, had not heard of. I'm not up on popular mm-hmm. culture uh, or anything. like that. I don't that. know if this is considered yeah. pop, but thank you. Yes. Well, it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're pretty hip. Eric. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was delighted to explore and enjoy this film, which, you know, uh, I do hope some people have heard of it. Apparently, it was the winner of the Academy Award for Best uh, Short Animated Film this last year. Um, Yes. The author of the book and and the artist, Charlie uh, Mackesee, is uh, a truly unique kind of a William Blake sort of character, I think, in uh, in the art world and in mm-hmm. the storytelling world right now. So I, I was uh, not a not an author um, whose work I knew or an artist whose work I knew, but I was so happy to live inside of this short film. Um, and yeah, there were uh, you know some real. Uh, some really special moments that that was a special moment there's something about a quiet film that allows you know for space that um, that also invites you to reflect on on what's happening and the imagery is uh, you know it's winter imagery um, soft footsteps on snowfall and there's just something that um, brings you into a a place where you really can meditate and um, and think about what you're watching. I loved that line because, um, and as it relates to you know, think about what our choirs are are doing and how they are, right? Like it, because that simple question and the and the even simpler answer, which is so obvious when you think about it, yes, um, fixes something wrong with you know the anthropology that causes people to, you know, seek after things that they never can really grab hold of. Um, because those things that we do are not what we are, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's what's so funny about it. And, you know, when we think about choir, it, you talk about, you know, this was your goal. It doesn't have to do with not wanting to sound good, you know, or, or be in tune and stuff. But that's because of the the difference between what it is to be something and what it is to make something, right? Mm-hmm. And if we consider in the old, um, you know, the old uh, medieval philosophical sense, right, that art is the is the thing that we make. Um, it's the thing that you that you hold when you're done with the artistic process, right? And the art has its own life in a way. Then we can get away from this idea of, of like placing yourself within um within the art in, in an unhealthy way, perhaps, um, or of, of drawing all of your self-worth from that thing that you're, that you're trying to make, or of, of that false self-worth that we get when we compare the quality of what we're making um, against that of the person next to us, right? None of those things are what we are. They are what we make. And as artists, we sh- should strive to make, right? And, and, 
furthermore, we strive to make things that we're kind of driven to make, you know, like in a, in a way we don't, we can't always explain what it is we're doing or, or why, but we're still called to do those things. That's, that's a part of that internal artist's drive that, um, that's mysterious and, and special and something that brings artists together. Um, but that idea of laying it out for your singers in that way, I think, is a, is a beautiful thing because that's not, um, that's not the message, I think, that is um, often conveyed. Often, what, you know, you are what you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, that's, that happens, you know, when, when people ask you what you do and, and that sort of thing. And that, that's kind of a shorthand for figuring out who you are. Um, but it's a funny thing, you know, like if you didn't, if you didn't work where you worked, wouldn't you still be Eric, you know, like, of course, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. And the more you, the more you strip those things away, this, this is like a weird mental, um, game I used to play, but I, I had this kind of, um, this, this mental philosophical puzzle that I devised one time and it was sort of imagining this this beautiful model right and then um, at what point is the model not beautiful right like what if something you know happened and and um, you know acid were thrown on the face of the model or some you know some mm-hmm. kind of uh, horrible uh, you know, this person was in an accident and suffered a, a horrible injury or something like that. You know, at what point do does suddenly a thing become not beautiful? And the answer is, if you're really looking at the person, then you know the beauty is <laughs> like that. That's always there, right? Right. In another way, we we think of this when we have relationships. You know, friendships or or romantic relationships. Um, you know, you're 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 sharing love of a thing that is, you know, that's going to change and that's going to carry through because that, that through line is not, um, just about the moment, you know, it's something, it's something deeper. I don't know. Um, it's, it's like, it's a a one liner in that movie, but it's, it just knocks you out. It does. And, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, the word compare comparison, because I do think that this one-liner, this simple one word, uh, essentially undoes what one of my least favorite things about all choir situation, which is this constant comparison, either comparison to some needless perfection, uh, comparison to something unattainable, or comparison to each other. Who's the best soprano? Uh, Who's, you know, it's just never-ending comparison. But if, as you do what the mole says, which is uh, nothing beats kindness, it sits quietly beyond all things. If, if that's what's sitting quietly beyond all things, kindness, I'm not thinking about myself anymore. I'm think, as we've often said, I mean, there's, a, there's a, a very soft link to humility here where Let's say you are, and I've said this directly to my choir even in the last couple of weeks, if you are the best soprano in your mind, then what that puts on you is that you have the greatest responsibility to make other people better, not say that you're better. Mm-hmm. You have to prove it by your service and sacrifice to others. You have to be kind to others. That's You have more responsibility then. Mm-hmm. It's It's... Okay, we can go on and on about that, but I do want to truncate the last two. There are two other lines, and I'll just say them in in rhythm here. The fox was caught in a snare after he tried to eat the mole. Mm -hmm. Later, he got caught in a snare, a hunter's snare, and the mole came up to the fox, and the fox said something like, I will eat you, I would eat you if I were not caught in the snare. Mm-hmm. And the mole said something like, um, uh, something effective, well, you will die if you are not freed from the snare. Mm-hmm. And so the mole walked past the fox and freed the fox from the snare. I'm so happy that the mole did and not the boy mm-hmm. because the fox wasn't interested in eating the boy. 
The boy talked to the mole afterwards and said, why, essentially, why did you do that or how did you do that? And the mole says, one of our greatest freedoms is how we react to things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, very obvious, very simple. And so like kind of like a no-brainer. But is it? Is it? If, that, if it were such a no-brainer, then why do we constantly get caught off guard and we see it in our students? We see it in our singers. And is there a way to infuse this concept into like that we know and understand and are intentful about how we react to things? It's not it, we're not thoughtless about reaction. We are purposeful in our reaction to things. And it is considered a freedom that again just the idea that we are free to react to something in a particular way rather than mm-hmm. a victim of every it, again this one eliminates victimhood which is a major issue i think yes we're victims of everything all the time but we have a freedom to react to whatever we're a victim of. So we're not necessarily victims. We still have agency and autonomy to have a reaction that is not a victim reaction or whatever. And that includes everything that undergirds the choral rehearsal, Mm -hmm. especially as a conductor. The second, the last thing I'll say is the fox rarely says something in this movie. Mm -hmm. And the boy asked the group, uh, what's the bravest thing you ever said? Mm -hmm. And the fox chimes up and says, help. Mm -hmm. So what's the bravest thing you've ever said? Help. And so in general, I look back at these three things, and and to sum it all up, essentially it's to say there are certain ideas and axioms that that could be an inspiration from all sorts of sources that could essentially help you it help me create foundations of good community mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with the music but will affect every rehearsal every performance every interaction and it is possible if you're thoughtful about how to utilize some of these ideas that your singers, particularly younger people, will start to sink into, oh, this program, this is what we do here. You know, I think Mm -hmm. family dynamics are like that too, like uh, uh, my sons. This is how we do stuff in our family. You know, this is who we are. So if you imagine that you had a choir, just these three things, a choir program where Undergirding all things is kindness. We were always intentful on how we reacted to each other given hard circumstances or easy circumstances. And uh, we were vulnerable to ask for help if we needed it in or outside the music context. Mm -hmm. What if these three things were undergirding the ensemble? And again, I want to reiterate, it has nothing to do with your intonation. I mean, we're not shunning sounding good. (laughs) But what we are doing is working towards something that I think we desperately need is modeling health, modeling goodness. Having goodness be a part of the choral experience, not just... I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. There's so many broken people in the world right now. I mean, everybody's so broken. And to establish this grounding rule set, not even rules, but this grounding morale to say, this is who we are here. We are mm-hmm. people that are kind. Some of you are going to say, well, that's mushy junk. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I don't, I don't care. I would do this with pros that are jaded. Why? Because why not? What a waste of time. Let's say you, we've talked about this before, perfection. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Do we care? Great. 
We gave a great performance that we'll all forget about. And then when somebody has a problem in the group, do we rally around them or say, remember that great performance that we gave last week? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fantastic. The beautiful thing about this movie, and again, I, I hope people watch it and just let it, you know, say whatever it's going to say to them. Um, because it's really special and it's, um, you know, there are so many beautiful moments, just kind of breathtaking moments, like simple moments. But when you see things happen, I think the, um, you know, the, the, the slow reveal of everyone's nature and then what they're contributing to this conversation and how they, also, I, you know, the, the boy's sense of wonder and it kind of puts you back into, you know, remembering a time in your own life when, sure, you know, sometimes foxes talk, sometimes horses fly. This is, this is known to happen from time to time. You know, like that, for me as a, you know, as a person, uh, you know, with, uh, with kids and stuff, to remember, you know, that there is a time in everyone's life when you can kind of accept that magical um that magical world uh and then you you say to yourself why not you know why why do we not accept some of that magic because when you're talking about the lines you emphasized um which both relate to reactions you know in a way to things that are that are happening um it is true that, you know, a great freedom, if you think of, of the way, for example, um, you know, you, th- you think of heroic stories of, um, you know, uh, people helping other people during horrible times in history, like the Holocaust mm. or, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, American um, slavery, you know, and, and uh, things like that where it really was a matter of of people who you know sort of looked around and said no I see this a different way and I'm going to respond to this in a different way even though you know I've been told this is the way that I should respond um we all appreciate and admire those things the funny thing is that we're I think we're faced with issues like that all the time and we don't dig into that like you know we 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 would hope that we would be the people who would have the the other response um but unfortunately most people don't you know most people are even good people they're they're trapped in that sense of what you can and and can't do um the uh the other you know part of this um which has to do with saying help, right? And we can take all of this on a personal level or a societal level, or, or I think even into a musical level, right? Um, if those things are right with ourselves um, personally, then it opens us up, it expands us in the artistic process to ask for help when we need it, mm. right? Um, you talked about intonation, and I 100% agree that you know until that community thing is right you can't really get to the other thing in the right way but isn't it also the case that you know that a part of this is recognizing when we need help um, and and recognizing when we have something to offer the person near us um, that is a very brave thing to mm-hmm. for you talked about the best you know the quote-unquote the the best singer or the best soprano right. I think you had mentioned right and um you know, how, what if that person doesn't feel like they can ask anyone for help? You Absolutely, know, because, because I'm the best person. Yeah, you know, right. and, quote and, unquote. Right, yes. and and where do you go? Whereas I, th- I think, and you've experienced this, I'm sure too. There are people who function on such a high level artistically, um, but so often those people are also the most gracious and generous, mm-hmm. and the most open to um, watching. Uh,
listener, it was at this time that my uh, computer died, and that was the end of our talk. Which, apropos, we need to gather ourselves and do a better job for you and for us to make sure that things are on track. I will mention here, though, that the the final point we were going to make at the conclusion of this was that for any of this to be of any worth to you, to me, to our singers, is that we have to do this first. The only way this will have any meaning at all is if we do the thing, not just teach it. We have to be it. That was the way we were going to end it today, was to encourage, if you got any ideas from this, was to try them on yourself, and maybe some of you already are. But the lessons learned from this short movie excellent though they may be, they are very difficult to embody in real life. And so as you go forward and trudge through the year, um, I encourage you to try to embody them for your students. I think that the payoff will be significant and noticeable as you try to develop an ethic for the choir to rally around. In the end, we're back, and more to come. Thank you for many of you for reaching out to get us to get back together and say some more things out into the virtual world. And so we shall. We will come back again soon. Be on the lookout for more episodes. Um, thank you, and all best to you this upcoming week. Thank you.